was really good. Uh, oh, let's. Uh, good morning. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, at the church I've been preaching at for the past year, uh, we don't have this crowd yet. Um, it's pretty limited. There's a lot of people still nervous about being here, and so it, it's it's uh, it's different again to see so many people all, all in here, and it's exciting. So I'm glad to be here. Um, who's ever been on an elevator? Who's ever been on an elevator with one other person on that long ride in a bigger building? It's really awkward, isn't it? Somebody explained to me one time why being on the elevator with another person you don't know is so awkward. And that's because you're both thinking about each other and you both are fully aware of it. And so people have a lot of different ways of handling that. Some people just stand there stiff and quiet. Some people, you know, just small talk. Some people do weird things, you know, like, ah, just to weird the other person out. And, uh, See what I mean? I always like, I'm trying to teach my kids whenever, because we stayed at a hotel last night, whenever it goes down, to jump as it goes down, because you feel like you're flying for a second. It's not as cool to do that when there's a stranger in there. Um, but either way, that awkward moment uh, where you're both thinking about each other, you both know it. Um, well, I'm looking at you, and, you know, he's all like, hey, this guy's thinking about coming here to serve, and so all of you are looking at me today, sizing me up, and uh, <laughs> that's okay. it's okay, you're all in your underwear right now, so. At least we're not naked. Oh, man. So here we go, um, and I want to share a story that is kind of similar to this, because when you're in that kind of situation, and you, you know you're getting sized up, and if you're sized up for something like ministry, you're like, all right, Lord, and he's like, no, you ain't got it, man. <laughs> and you're like, I know. He's like, no, really. And so I want to share a story with you today from the scriptures of a similar situation, and I don't want the focus to be on me. I want you to put yourself in this situation and where you may do this when you stand uh, in front of God with his expectations for you and your attitude about that. If you want to turn into the book of Exodus chapter 3, now I'm going to zip through this. There's a couple little details that, that I'm, going to, I'm going to try to make this kind of in time, this conversation that happens between Moses and God. This is, you know this story, and I want to kind of give it to you from how I read it, okay? You there? All right. Here's the part, it, it sounds real familiar. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though this bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now you've probably heard that read in that kind of tone or it's kind of choppy, but let's get into the conversation, okay? I like to do that when I read the Bible. I, I, um, I don't know, my brain sort of gets in there like, what in real time? Because this is translated and sometimes that sounds kind of choppy. 
And I want to sort of put this in Davy perspective of how I hear this conversation. So the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look. (laughs) And God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, a bush is talking to you, okay? That's weird. (laughs) And, of course, Moses says, here I am. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. All right. A talking bush told you to take off your shoes. Said this is holy ground. Kick them off. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses knows who, who this is. And at this he hides his face. Whoa. Something big is happening. Because he was afraid to look at God. He understands the situation. And the Lord says to him, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Now Moses saw this. In fact, that's why he's where he is today. And he's been there for 40 years, kind of hiding out, but at the same time, kind of living the simple life. And it's been kind of nice. He was in royalty. He was a prince. And he saw his people, the people he was so passionate for, he saw them being abused, one in particular, and killed a guy over it. And so he's run away, he's out here in the middle of nowhere, and now God's saying, hey, I've seen this, and I care too. And he's bringing up some old stuff. In verse 10 he says, so now, go. I'm sending you. Sending you to Pharaoh, remember that guy? To bring my people, the Israelites, just to clarify, out of Egypt. But Moses said, Who am I? You know, I should go to Pharaoh, okay, and bring the whole Israelites out of Egypt. You know, he's standing there looking all humble. A former prince, but now he's got his, you know, shepherd staff. And so God says, I'll be with you. Probably the most important thing he could say. That should have been everything. I'll be with you. You know who I am. And this will be the sign that I'm going to say to you. When you've brought this this people out, you're going to worship right here on this mountain. That's pretty cool. And Moses says, well, okay, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, you know, the God of your fathers has sent you, and they ask me, what's his name? What will I tell them then? And Moses, (laughs) God tells him, I am who I am. And I wonder if the Israelites were ever asking, who is going to come and get us out of this mess? And I suspect, and this is just my own suspicion, is that God was answering, I am. And there's a whole lot to that name. But whatever it is, he says, this is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And they've been waiting. This was predicted 
with Abraham that after 400 years, they're ready. They're over this whole slavery thing. So God says to Moses, say to the Israelites also, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. They know who that is. This is not a mystery. He just explained who he was to Moses with the same description. It's like, duh. Okay. All right. So he played dumb. So he says, well, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, says, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land, uh, that land of flowing with milk and honey. And it's been 400 years. They are expecting you. They clearly are waiting. He says, go talk to the elders because they're going to listen. And he even says, the elders of Israel will listen to you. But Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me or say, well, the Lord didn't appear to you? All right. Well, what's in your hand, Moses? A staff. Throw it on the ground. Thing turns into a snake. And Moses ran from it. I love the awkwardness of this situation. I remember as a kid seeing the cartoons, and it was very, he puts it down, and it, and then it says, now pick it up. And it was really majestic, but it's like, it's a snake, man. I remember one time I was in a building with some people, um, and it was a place I was working at. And in a, in a building, in the rafters was the biggest black snake you ever saw. And I was, it was a whitewater rafting place. So one of the customers was in there to find it. And we're like, don't worry, get out. We need to keep you safe. We'll take care of it. And he's like, no, I got it. And he's got a paddle. And he's sticking this paddle up there, and he's poking this snake. And the snake's getting mad. And we're like, hey, man, you're poking a snake, and it's getting mad. Will you please leave? Because we'll get it later when we're not going to get attacked by this angry snake. And he's like, no, no, I got it. And we're like, really, man, please. And, of course, finally he gets a loop off that snake on this big blade of the paddle, which is this awkward way to yank on a snake. And he gives it a tug. And all of a sudden at Mach 2, there is the biggest black snake I have ever seen coming through the air at my face. I have never moved backwards faster in my life nor made such a girly sound. (laughs) I'm not even that scared of snakes, but man, when it's coming at your face that fast, I was curled up in the corner shaking, man. It was, it, I, I can relate to Moses, okay? So he runs from the snake. The Lord's like, well, reach out your hand and grab the tail. And so he's like, all right, man. And he picks up the snake and it turns back into a staff. And then, you know, he says, this is, this is a sign. So they'll, they'll believe that he's appeared to you. And he's like, oh, well, hold on, because I know he's going to ask again. He's like, put your hand in your shirt. Ah! And it's leprous. He says, put it back in. Okay, it's better. It's like, well, that's kind of cool. Thanks. You know, I'm glad he didn't just stick with that one. And so now he's got miraculous signs from the talking bush. Okay? And so the Lord says, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. And if they still don't believe these two signs, he says to take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and it's going to turn into blood. Now, he didn't show him this one, one, because he's not near the Nile, 
And two, because he's already showed him two amazing things, it's like, you better believe this one from the talking bush. But Moses says, pardon your servant. <laughs> I've never been eloquent. A prince of Egypt, of course. Um, neither in the past since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. <laughs> so the Lord says, who, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes the deaf? Uh, makes them deaf or mute who gives them sight or makes them blind is it not i the lord now go i'll help you speak i'll teach you what to say but moses said pardon your servant lord <laughs> please send someone else Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Think he ever feels that way with you? Has the Lord ever asked you to give something up, change something, try something out, and you're like, pardon your servant, Lord. How patient is he with you? How many excuses do you give him? At what point are you like, just please somebody else and he gets frustrated here's a happier story from the New Testament um, God's dealt with people it's been centuries uh, if you want to turn it's in John 6 this is another story that you know Jesus looks up sees the great crowd coming towards him and he says to Philip where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat here we go. He's not, he's not wasting time with this one. He's going to get right to the point. And he's making the same point he was trying to show Moses. He said, I'll be with you. That should have been enough. I'm there. You, you've got this. You can show up and be like, God. And he's going to be like, Urgh! and that's that. He's God. But Jesus is going to show this to his disciples, and he's not going to waste time arguing with them. In fact, he, I think he kind of teases them because it says he asked this question only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Never forget that. And of course, Philip's answer is, it'd take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. This is nonsense. They're out in this, they're far off from town, and, and people have been out there a while. They need to eat, or you know what it's like when you get a group of people and they're getting hungry. Y'all getting hungry? Let me speed up. Okay, all right. So another of the disciples speaks up, and it's Andrew, and he, he says, well, here's a boy with five, uh, five little loaves of bread and two little fish. I mean, how far is that really going to go among so many? I don't know how he said that. I don't know if they're just pointing out that we really don't have enough. Like, this is it. Or if he's like, I don't know, maybe Andrew was being really faithful and handed him that, like, here, God. And that boy was like, hey, man, my lunch. You know? And then Jesus does something cool. And before he does it, and you know it's going to be cool, he says, have everybody sit down. When Jesus says, you might ought to take a seat, you know something cool is about to happen. Okay? This is plenty of grass. They all sit down, about 5,000 of the men. And Jesus takes the loaves, gives thanks, 
and it distributes to those who are seated as much as they wanted. And then he does the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he says to his disciples, here's the cool part, okay? Now gather all the pieces left over. And you've probably heard this story so many times that, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many baskets? Twelve baskets of the overflow. He took what nobody had but what they took from some kid who was clearly willing to give it up, I guess whether he wanted to or not. But he said, even the offerings of a child, watch what I can do when you'll give what you've got. This ain't about you. I'm here. And, of course, they fill up 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves. I mean, just imagine loading those up. Just like, how does he do this? These are leftovers. This is to send home with anybody who was still hungry or didn't have enough. You know? And uh, I did notice this. It says they, they put the five barley loaves in there. It says nothing about the fish, which I think was kind of polite, because who eats leftover fish? You know, that's just gross. I, I love to fish. I love to do fish fries, but I like it hot and fresh out of the pan. You know what I mean? You put that in the fridge. If you take that to work and put that in a microwave, you do not have any friends left, okay? Last story. If you want to size me up, this is the verse I'm going to send you to. Because Paul was the great persecutor. When it began, when the, the persecution of Christianities began, Christianities began, um, Paul was there holding everybody's coats while they killed Stephen. Remember that story? And then from that day, it began. And it was on. And you think, how could it be so on? Because remember the whole thing with Pilate? And they had to do this mock trial and everything to get Jesus killed? Well, they flexed on that. They showed, we have a mob here, and if you challenge us, we're going to make an uprising, and it's going to be your head. And Pilate did something that gave them the keys. He said, I wash my hands clean of this man he said i'm stepping out and there i'd like to get into how much they were flexing with the apostles already saying we can kill you we have killed before well this is all right it's on they have killed a man for his faith simply because he told them about christ jesus again and now paul is heading up much of this persecution and dragging people from their homes and throwing them in prison Anybody nervous about anything like that in our near future these days? Has it crossed your mind at all? When I was a kid, I never thought anything like that would even be, well, I hope nothing goes that way, and I actually think things like that nowadays. Well, here's the deal. That's the guy he was. He meets Jesus, and he has this total turnaround, and Paul probably becomes the greatest Christian that ever lived. Considering how he turned around and he spent the rest of his life, he traveled the known world three different times, going from country to country to country. I've got to tell you about Jesus and in detail. And half of the New Testament is his writings. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, he spends chapters 
saying, and I never understood this when I was younger. He starts boasting, but saying, but I'm not supposed to boast, but let me boast. And he's boasting to make a point. He says, I have done everything I physically, humanly can to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I've been arrested for it. I've been whipped and beaten the same way Jesus was beaten. They stoned me one time, and they thought I was dead and left me for dead, and somehow I wasn't dead. They've whipped me. They've beat me. They've chased me out. I've been hungry. I've been naked. And I've, I've been bitten by poisonous snakes and been like, why am I not dead? Remember Moses? <laughs> he says, but let me tell you this. This is my resume, these amazing things, and this is what I'm going to tell you about. I could boast about that all day, but it says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Gramps would call that old slew foot. Ever notice when you're trying to, to do what's right and you got a big moment or... or I've always, like at church camp, whenever we're going to have a big night where we're really going to emphasize the gospel, it, something happens. This old slew foot is there to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Man, if I could get this, I'd have it. I have done everything I can, clawing my way to follow Christ, and I still have something I can't seem to get a hold of and he says to me my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in your weakness it ain't about you I'm not good enough for you. I make excuses. I get scared. Sometimes I doubt. Sometimes God shows me amazing things. And I'm like, wouldn't that person be better? But that's what I have to brag about. And if anybody's sizing you up, greatest thing about you is that you need Christ therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me that's the power of the cross because when I've got it all together I'm not looking at the cross and that's why for Christ's sake I delight in my weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties, for when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Because he says, I'll be with you. And it's when you're tripping and you're staggering, trying to follow Jesus, and you're in a drunken walk. But you know the way home. You're still in the right direction, and he's, right way, keep coming. This way. And this is the gospel. Christ went to the cross because we all fall short. But he still counts us worth the price of redemption.
And what you have, what you've done, is not enough. Won't ever be. In fact, it is our weaknesses that put us where we should be at the cross, completely dependent on his grace. And God is waiting to take you as you are. Standing there with your stick. He stands at the door and he knocks. And you're like the prophet Isaiah. You're the only one in the room. Standing in in his presence in the temple with thunder and lightning and smoke. and, And crazy weird beings flying around and... And God says, whom shall I send? And you're like, well, I'm here. Send me. Or maybe you're hanging on to something. What are you hanging on to? Maybe you're hanging on to your five loaves and two fish just because it ain't enough. It's not enough. I can't give this. Or maybe you've only got one loaf. And no fish. Maybe it's time to go fishing. What are you holding back? What do you keep from him? What mistakes are you not willing to give him? Or what efforts are you not willing to give him because you don't feel that it's not enough? Are you willing to give something up, even the little things? Little stuff that seems insignificant. If you're holding on to that, you may be missing out on those 12 baskets. In fact, you may be missing out on blessing thousands that could miraculously be blessed and fed. Is it faith? Is it patience? Anger? Uh, Is it your frustrations with the current political climate? Here's one. Road rage. Are you willing to give your road rage to God? I had somebody test me on that one one time. Uh, It was a real struggle. Like, I got on the road when I was younger, and I had to be going faster than you. And if you were in front of me, um, man, I was that guy with smoke coming out ears. And and somebody told me, you need to give that up. You need to drive slow. I was like, no. No. Send him. Because <laughs> I'm already going to be there. And I do. Katie hates it. I drive real slow now. I'm like an old man. Uh, I get lines of cars behind me and finally, oh, there's about 10 of them. I have to get off the road. But I had to give it up. And, and it was wrong for me to be having that much anger held inside over driving. And I'm sorry if I make you mad. Um, maybe you're just discouraged. I don't know. Whatever it is that you need to bring to the foot of the cross, um, I'll say this, though, and I'm almost done because I know you're getting hungry now. Um, What unbeliever is going to come forward or make some decision if believers won't continue doing it? Because there's no once-and-done ticket stamped. This is a continuous effort of growth and surrendering. And sometimes it's what's new that I'm struggling with because we're always changing. And it shouldn't even be weird to come up and say, I need some prayer this week. That devil's been beating on me all week long, and I'm going to church, and when a preacher gives an invitation, I'm going to get me some of that prayer. 
Because my God's bigger, and he said he's with me, and I need to share this with my fellow believers. And I'm telling you, they need to see you do that. We need to see each other doing that. We can't be so arrogant and boastful by just sitting quietly all the time going, well, I went, and I'm living right, and I'm doing well. We're supposed to be struggling through this, clawing our way to him. And if you've never accepted the hope that Jesus offers, maybe you'd like to make that decision today and repent and be baptized. If you haven't, I hope you will. And if you've already made that decision, and you've been sitting in the pew for so long that your spirit is starting to dry off, then get up. Fess up. Come splash around again in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit part is not a one-time thing. It is lifelong immersion. And it makes us uncomfortable and makes us grow. Be never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Let me close with this. Meeting once a week to remember Christ and what he's done gives us hope and joy that when all this is over, we'll be united with him in his resurrection for eternity. Are you excited about that? Good morning. And hope, if you can't find that, is in Christ Jesus. So be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. And if you would like, this is, I'm done, okay? I want to say this though, but if you would like, man, I'd love to pray with you today. If you're hearing into this and it's tugging at your heart, man, stand up and say it. You're like, man, I've been messing up this week real bad. And I need some prayer. I actually get up and try doing it. Man, people want to see somebody do that. And they're like, gosh, we can do that. It should be a normal thing. We regularly do that. And I hope you I'd love to pray with you. You can pray for me. I mean, he knows enough. He knows too many people I know. I need a lot of prayer. But I'd love to pray with you today. And that's the invitation. So as a, you want to come on up and we'll sing our song. But I encourage you today to do that we grow together in Christ.